How do I introduce the podcast? This is Object to This. <laughs> it's been so long. This is Object to This, an Ace Attorney fancast. I'm Stephanie. Get on your bikes and ride! And I like... Especially Christmas! Yeah! <laughs> Merry Christmas, everybody! We realized Christmas was last month. <laughs> we realized Christmas was last year. <laughs> Happy 2013! Happy 2013! Yay! Woo! This is... Hey, this is the year... That Phoenix is a shitty art student and dates that whore and and gets almost poisoned and shit. Oh, man. This is the year, guys. All of you art students out there, stock up on Cold Killer X. Cold Killer X, man. That's that's the one. It's going to be good. It's going to be it's gonna be the year. But, okay, the moral is uh, Christmas happens when we say it does, motherfuckers. Yeah, because... Do not bitch. Do not bitch because, guys, guess what? We're secretly the Phoenix Wright developers. <laughs> So we can delay whatever we want. Just like the iOS games. Yeah, the iOS games are delayed again. The HD iOS games. Yeah, so sorry about that. We probably won't get those till the end of the year. You can cry now. All right, now you're done. <laughs> now you're done. Because this is going to be a fun episode. <laughs> this is going to be a great episode. Oh, real quick also, Phoenix Wright Professor Layden. That came out uh, between when we recorded last episode and when we released episode last episode. So it's out, everybody. Yay. We know nothing because they haven't leaked the cutscenes. And, yeah, so we don't really know anything about it. No, we don't. And if they have leaked them, I probably still won't watch them. <laughs> yeah. Because, because we still haven't seen the movie yet. <laughs> because. Yeah. Because we haven't. Yeah. But it should be on sale at the end of the year for 3DS in America. Oh. Yeah. Because they're pushing the last Professor Layton game, the last one, with Layton as the protagonist, because then we get all Fendi. <laughs> that is a whole other game. <laughs> we will talk about that later. But the last Layton game has been pushed back to next year for uh, U.S. release, so I think they're going to do PL versus AA oh, in September. Dang. I'm making eye contact with Stephanie right now because we're coming to you previously recorded live from the same room. Woo! This was my favorite Christmas present ever. Yay. Yay. I mean, this makes almost no difference to you other than you guys get consistent audio quality. Yeah. <laughs> Yay, which makes editing a lot easier. And before we get into the meat of our podcast, any question you guys asked us, we're answering it next time. Because we already have what we want to do for you for Christmas. It's the Christmas episode, remember? Yeah, remember how it's Christmas? Because it's still Christmas. Yeah, get back in that Christmas groove, because Christmas comes again. So get out, get out your tree. probably looks like Charlie Brown. Like, get it out of the trash. String some lights back up on it. Go get your half of Stouffer's lasagna that I know you haven't eaten yet. I know you froze it. Go get it. Go get it. Thaw, microwave it. Thaw that out. Get by your stove and turn it on because I doubt you actually have a fireplace. And if you have an electric stove, that's unfortunate. Maybe light a candle. <laughs> light that pine-scented candle that your grandma got you for Christmas. Yeah. All right, is that, are y'all all settled? Is your cozy chair? Your stove is lasagna? We're going to start you off with... I got a story. <laughs> okay, ready, Michelle? I'm ready. Give right. me, lay this on me. All right. Wait, should we warn everyone about how our audio quality is oh. crap? <laughs> let's, let's, let's talk about it. We got some things to talk about <laughs> before your story. Hold on. Hold on. No. Let's just tell us. Wait. <laughs> no. Everyone down in Japanifornia liked Christmas a lot, but Zach Gamerite the Jerk simply did not. Now, Zach didn't hate Christmas, just the Christmas court sessions. No one quite knows the reason, but it could be perhaps his top hat is too tight. It could be his head wasn't screwed on just right. But I think that most likely reason of all may have been his heart was two sizes too small. But whatever the reason, his heart or his hat, he stood there on Christmas Eve, hating their acts. Staring down from his holding cell with a jerky, murky frown at the warm-lighted windows below their town. For he knew everyone down in Los Tokyo beneath was now busy hanging a jammy ninja holiday wreath. He snarled with a sneer. And they're hanging their samurai stockings. Tomorrow's Christmas. It's practically here. Then he huffed, his jerky fingers drumming against the bars. I must find some way to make tomorrow's trial exciting for me. I know, I'll steal far away far. For tomorrow, I know all the lawyers will wake bright and early to warm up their cords and oh the noise. And they'll shriek, squeaks and squeals, racing around on their heelys, They'll cook up some holiday weenies. Then the lawyers, old and young, will sit down to a feast, and then they'll feast, and they'll feast, they'll feast, 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 and feast! They'll feast on pudding, and rare roast borscht is a feast I can't stand in the least. 
And then they'll do something I hate the most of all. Every lawyer, the tall and the small. They'll stand together with the gavel banging. They'll stand in the court with those lawyers still objecting. And they'll object! And they'll shout, HOLD IT! AND TAKE THAT! AND GOTCHA! AND THEY OBJECT! 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 The more Zack the Jerk thought of his lawyer shouting, he thought, I must stop this whole trial. While pouting. I must ruin this Christmas. But how? I know, I'll do it with a pow, a bow, a cow. Hey, hey, so... So Stephanie, this is really good. Well, thank you. But you know, Ace Mod did this already from Ask Ace Attorney, and he did it with Franzi, and he rewrote uh, the entire what? song, and he photoshopped pictures. What and what? And it's really good. But I worked really hard on this. Yeah, it's but, really good. But he did it with Franzi. Yeah. Oh fuck, that's perfect. Why didn't I think of and that? The whips and shit, and like, oh, and yeah. Oh. So I just don't want. People think we're copying him because we're not. No, we thought I thought of this months ago. Well, fuck it, fuck it. It's okay though. It's okay. No, it's okay. It's fine. It's okay. Jenny's got a story. Let's do Jenny's story. Oh, Jenny. Okay. It's a good story. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm excited. Okay, Jenny, tell me your story. This story begins on Christmas Eve with Detective Gumshoe, who is heading to the Wright and Company law offices for a Christmas party. He's hoping to see Maggie Bride there and apologize and give her some more weenies, when suddenly, Von Karma and the Germans show up and take over the law officers. Hello, I am Von Karma. I am agreeing to take over and steal all Jenny, Jenny, what are you doing? Die Hard's a great Christmas story. What the fuck are you talking about? Haven't you ever heard of Die Hard? Haven't you watched it? I've never seen Die Hard, but why is it a Christmas story? There's plenty of Christmas. Also, it's the worst Von Karma impression I've ever heard in my life. I thought it was beautiful. Oh, Jenny. That was going to be good. That was... Come on. Did you hear Jenny's Von Karma? I loved that. That was great. Of course you did. It was... I meant Von Karma. <laughs> Maybe if she just got, like, you know, like, 8-Bit Boy to just change her voice. Yeah, well... God damn it. Okay. Okay. Um. Well, fine. I mean, if I... I clearly keep ruining this podcast with... My failed Zach story, and with this... I liked your failed Zach story. It contained Keith, so... Well, yes, I enjoy Keith. Keith's a little sad. I had to, I had to give him, like, the rest of my sofa's lasagna and take him for a ride on my motorcycle. That's about all it takes to make Keith happy. It's, it really is. <laughs> Maybe swig a little brandy in it. Who knows? Oh, yeah, okay. That's probably Keith for you. Um, well, fine. Do you have a Christmas story? I do. I do have a Christmas but this one needs a little caveat here. Since nobody can do Von Karma as great as Jenny. Because I won't allow it. Um, I decided to write this Von Karma story and not include any dialogue for him. So Interesting. You have fun. We'll have fun with that. Here's, here's this story. Gregory Edgeworth was dead to begin with. Bullet through the chest, airless elevator, orphan son, the whole nine yards. Yes, Gregory Edgeworth was as dead as a doornail, and that must be plainly understood, or nothing wonderful can come from the story I am about to relate. Manfred von Karma remained very much alive by comparison. Oh, but he was a contemptuous, high-handed old narcissist von Karma, a conceited, insolent, pretentious, arrogant, disdainful, controlling, prideful old sinner. External heat and cold had little influence on Von Karma. No wind that blew could ever match his bitterness. No falling snow was more intent upon its purpose. No pelting rain less open to entreaty. Foul weather didn't know what to do when faced with his might. And it was hardly ever that the most fearsome of elements was described as perfect, where Von Karma always was. He carried his icy, emotionless craving for perfection above all else with him always, and did not lessen it one degree at Christmas. When faced with his adopted protege, young Miles Edgeworth, demon prosecutor's recent fall from grace in the Japanifornia courts, he realized something must be done. I guarantee that it will not happen again, sir. Miles assured him when confronted. The Fay case and the Powers case were both flukes. And, to be frank, the decision the court reached was truly justice. Isn't that what you want, after all? Von Karma sharply informed him that justice was, and always would be, what Von Karma decided. And a verdict favoring any defense was most certainly not justice. 
demon prosecutor indeed. A sniveling failure. Yes, the plans, already in motion, were long overdue. It was the night before Christmas Eve, when von Karma sat villainously in his perfect home, reveling in how glorious his finely crafted revenge would be when every single one of his perfectly placed lights suddenly went out. A sharp, bellowing, screaming wind blew through the house. Doors flew open with sharp bangs, and he must have heard a distinct rattling of something that could only be described as otherworldly. Von Karma stayed perfectly calm. He may have harumphed at the annoyance, or he may have smirked at the horrible attempt to frighten him. Manfred von Karma, said the vaguely transparent figure who is standing very suddenly before him. Von Karma harumphed again, and made his disbelief entirely clear to Gregory Edgeworth. You doubt me? Gregory asked, not in the least bit surprised. You doubt what stands here before your self-professed perfect senses? Von Karma snapped his finger sharply to silence the apparition, and informed him that he was most likely a dream, or some sort of hallucination. Your guilty conscience made manifest, then? That will serve my purposes just as well. Von Karma objected. His conscience was perfect, as the rest of him, and he did not take kindly to the nonsense of interpreting dreams, especially while he was in one. Listen, we have a great deal to do this evening if you are to be saved. Von Karma informed him that he needed neither company nor saving that particular evening. Whether you like it or not, I am here for your welfare. Gregory was sharply informed that nothing would serve Manfred von Karma's welfare better than being let alone to have his evening uninterrupted by whatever figment was standing before him. Then, your reclamation, and perhaps the welfare of others, for this evening, I am the ghost of Christmas past. Sardonically, von Karma asked if he were the ghost of the very distant past, or just the past within recent memory. Your past. Now come, we have a great deal to see. Before von Karma knew what was happening, he was swept away from his home and into a world made up of his own memories. Along with Gregory, he saw his sad, lonely, neglected childhood, shaping his unattainable need for perfection. He relived his descent into abomination, his corruption of justice, truth, and righteousness, in order to fully control everything around him. And he saw how that drove him to insanity, to never give his children the love, confidence, and assurance they deserved. He saw how it drove his elder child and grandchild away from him. He saw how it drove him to murder. He saw how it drove him to slowly and systematically set up Miles Edgeworth's scarred and broken life so that he might destroy it, like he destroyed the life of the man showing him all of these vile memories. He told Gregory he had seen enough. He shouted and screamed and threatened that this torture should not go on. He woke up in his bed, impossibly tangled in the sheets. He sighed, relieved, and stood up. He needed some fresh air, or something to shake the awful feeling that he was still not alone. But he was not alone, he soon found out, as he went into his sitting room. The room was extravagantly lit and appeared not like his sitting room at all, but instead like the courtroom where he had won so many of his battles. Standing solemnly in the middle of the room, was a young man in a bright blue suit with severely pointed black hair. Von Karma quickly identified him as Phoenix Wright, the attorney who had bested his protege. Yes, Phoenix said. I'm surprised you paid that much attention. Von Karma explained that a Von Karma always pays the utmost attention to all things, thank you. He continued, considering the prior events of the night, to question whether Phoenix was, then, the ghost of Christmas present. I am. Von Karma had hoped that would be the answer. Without the least bit of politeness in his voice, he argued that, to be the ghost of Christmas present, Phoenix had to be part of the present, and Von Karma had never met Phoenix Wright, so this was beyond ridiculous. Well, clearly humility isn't part of your idea of perfection. It's not all about you all the time, prosecutor. Von Karma informed Phoenix that his hair was stupid in the least delicate way possible. The first thing Phoenix showed Von Karma was Miles almost as though it were some sick, twisted continuation of the visions he had seen with Gregory. He saw how tortured Miles was, how the man couldn't reconcile the morals his father had instilled in him with his need for von Karma's approval. He saw how Miles worked himself nearly to death, even in this holiday season, because he feared sleep and where his dreams would lead him. Because he feared sleep and where his dreams would lead him. Phoenix showed him Francisca, how von Karma's lessons had left her unable to feel empathy, how her need to triumph over the fools of humanity left her a tortured shell on the inside. 
how she missed her father very much, even though she had never really had a father at all. Phoenix showed him every innocent person Von Karma's insanity had imprisoned, and how even in their darkest moments Christmas could still bring them joy. Von Karma saw the families of those people, and how even swept up in the gladness and love of the season, there was still a hole in their hearts they could never really fill. Von Karma did not fail to notice that as their travels continued, Phoenix changed. By the end, he no longer resembled the young man full of naive dreams. Phoenix became more unkempt, more tired. His hair lost some of its spiked shape, and some of it fell into his face. His suit became darker, and his eyelids and shoulders drooped, like he carried an unbelievable burden. But the fire of hope never left his eyes. Don't you see that the justice you think you're upholding is nothing but your own selfishness manifested? It seemed there was nothing left for Phoenix to show him. They stood once again in the courtroom, where they started, although now it felt smaller, darker, older, and much less like something von Karma could control. Von Karma mused that perhaps it was Phoenix who could not see. Justice was blind. It always had been. It always would be. And it was Von Karma who had risen up to lead it. What they had seen were casualties of a better world. The words felt hollow as he said them, but he did not waver. Suit yourself, Phoenix said, shrugging. He put his hands into his pockets and started to walk away towards the large courtroom doors. Von Karma asked him where he was going. If justice is so blind, maybe I'll take a turn leading it myself. In any case, I've got better things to do tonight. You'll fail. I'll stop you. You can be sure of that. Phoenix did not turn back. He easily pulled open the enormous wooden doors. Von Karma saw that what lay behind them was blindingly bright. But did he really intend to leave Von Karma stranded in this courtroom? Well, if you're so perfect, find your own way out. Phoenix called back from the other side of the doors right before they slammed shut. The slam made Von Karma flinch, and when he opened his eyes again, the doors were gone. There was no way out. He turned to see if perhaps he could escape into the judge's chambers. Sitting on the judge's bench was a massive, empty, shadowy figure. It had no face to speak of save for two piercing points of light where its eyes should have been. Von Karma asked if, maybe, it was the ghost of Christmas yet to come. It nodded. He asked if it would show him things that would certainly happen, or just might happen, in response. The spirit lifted its shadowy gavel high, high, higher still. The gavel grew as he raised it, until it was as big as a person. No, bigger. In one smooth motion, the spirit smashed the gavel onto Von Karma. He saw his daughter, weeping. He saw Prosecutor Miles Edgeworth choose his death. He saw a flawed prosecution record, one loss glaring out at him like the barrel of a loaded gun. He saw every case he had ever prosecuted reopened for investigation. He saw a prison cell with his name on it. He saw a grave with his name on it. He closed his eyes so tightly that his head swam, and he shouted that he would look no more, and he felt the gavel fall on him once again. It was daylight when he woke. December the 24th, Manfred von Karma began to laugh. He laughed and laughed until he couldn't breathe. When he finally stopped laughing, he sat up, safe in his bed once more, almost giddy. The spirits had failed. He would still have his revenge. Today marked the start of Miles Edgeworth's fall. Michelle, why would you do that? That was so sad, because it's in character. He wouldn't change. <laughs> he wouldn't change, but I thought it was going to be a funny, like, ha oh, he just went and he just cut <laughs> someone's pay, and I killed him. <laughs> in true Phoenix Wright style, that was just sad and depressing. I kept that bit about him making fun of Phoenix's hair. That was funny. <laughs> that, that was pretty funny. Okay, so if my story was too sad, what do you got? Um, you know what I have that I don't have? I got Jessie. We're she singing. sang us the song. We're singing? Well, you and Ashley are singing. I don't sing. <laughs> this is fun. Sorry, guys. I don't do singing. <laughs> do you no, I misquoted that. Do, do you know how many times on this podcast you have sung so far? <laughs> I, I don't I'm pretty sure half of our fans come just to hear you sing bullshit. <laughs> Get on your bikes and ride! Anyway. Anyway, let's listen to Jesse's Jesse's song. Okay. Ashley, you want to do this with me? We're gonna we're gonna stand over here and go do 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 do
Christmas Eve. You can say there's no such thing as Santa. But as for Larry and the judge, they believe. She's been drinking too much grape juice. And Edward begged her to get out. But she refused to listen to reason. So security hauled her away with a shout. When they found her Christmas morning, everyone assumed she was dead. They probably should have called the corner, but had a big celebratory party instead. Old that got run over by a reindeer, stalking Mr. Edgeworth Christmas Eve. You can say there's no such thing as Santa. But as for Larry and the judge, they believe. Now old fag's really hard to kill. You know what? I can't, I can't, I can't take this. No, 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 it's a classic twist of a classic story that mostly most people forget about until it's over. I'm going to tell you guys about The Gift of the Magi. $1.87 and 60 cents of it is in pennies. I saved one and two at a time by bulldozing the French restaurant and the noodle man to such an embarrassing degree. I've counted three times. $1.87 and, and tomorrow's Christmas. There was clearly nothing to do but flop down on the shabby little couch and howl. So Maya did. The Fay name had been flung to the breeze during a former period of prosperity when its possessor Mia Fay was being paid $30 per week. Now, when the income was shrunk to $20 under the new name of Wright, they were thinking seriously of contracting to a modest and unassuming office space. But whenever Phoenix Wright came into the Wright & Co. offices, he was called Nick, and Maya was there to give him a great big hug, which was all very good. Maya finished her cry and attended to her face with a washcloth. She stood by the window and looked out dully at the gray cat, walking a gray fence in a gray backyard. Tomorrow would be Christmas Day, and she only had $1.87 with which to buy Nick a present. She had been saving every penny she could for months, and this was the result. $20 a week doesn't go far. Expenses of the burger variety have been greater than I calculated. They always are. Only $1.87 to buy a present for Nick. I spent many an hour planning for something nice for him. Something fine and rare and sterling. Something just a little bit near to how good Nick has been to me and Pearlie. Maya kneeled down next to Charlie and sighed heavily. Just when she caught her reflection in the pot and suddenly stood up, her eyes shining brilliantly. Rapidly, she pulled down her hair and let it fall to its full length. Of course, my hair is long enough, and I take good care of it. Oh, how Sis used to love to brush my hair. No, this is no time to reminisce. I've got to get a present for Nick. Off I go. Bye, Charlie. Maya piled her hair up, threw on her jacket, and like a whirlwind she was out, leaving Charlie, waving his leaves in a silent farewell. She didn't stop until she made it to a sign. <sighs> Madame Emma Sky, dealing with all kinds of stuff and goods, scientifically speaking, of course. Excuse me, I need you to buy my hair. I buy all sorts of stuff. For science, of course. Let me see. Hmm, this is a good head of hair. How about $20? Yeah, yeah, chop chop. I need it quick. And in the next two hours she was off, ransacking the Kitaki Bakery, Eldoon's Noodles, Global Studios, Big Berry Circus, the Evidence Room, Hottie Clinic, the local burger joints, and then she found it at last. I found it at last. This exists for Nick and no one else. Badge polish. There's no one else who flashes their badge as much as he does. There's nothing more perfect and cheaper because I had to get a burger to quiet my stomach after all. All right, back to the office. Maya reached the office and went to work on the remains of her hair. She tried hats, headbands, curling irons, and before long she gave up. Well, if Nick doesn't assume I'm someone who broke into his office to murder him, I think he'll start calling me Cody. Oh, it's getting close to time for him to come in. I'll just wait over here in the corner and ambush him. Ah, oh, shoot, I'm running late. Surprise! Ah, take whatever you want, I don't have any money! Nick, it's me! What, Cody? I told you I don't have any more Steel Samurai trading cards. Oh, oh Nick, I just knew you would say that. Oh, Maya, is that you? Well, I cut my hair off so I could get you a Christmas gift. 
Just say Merry Christmas, Nick, and stop staring at me as if I was old bag. You cut your hair? Yeah, Nick, I did. It doesn't matter too much. It'll grow back. Your hair, it's gone. Stop looking around the room like that. Yes, it's gone. I sold it for science and burgers. Speaking of burgers, I'm getting hungry. How about some Christmas Eve burgers, huh, Nick? Oh, Maya, I'm not staring at you as if you were old bag, just a pink princess or something. No, look what I got you for Christmas. This, this is, this is a hair clip. The limited edition Steel Samurai one. Nick, this was sold out as soon as it hit the streets. There was no way you could have. I had to pull some strings, but yeah, I got it for you. Well, here, Nick. Merry Christmas. It's badge polish. Now your badge can shine in people's faces when you present it to them. Maya, I, I sold my badge to buy you that hair clip. What? But... How could you even sell your badge in the first place? Well, sell is probably the wrong word. It's at Tenderlander until I can pay them back. You did what? <laughs> Don't worry about a thing, Maya. Come on, let's just get some burgers. All right. And there is a lesson to be learned from all this. To give gifts is wonderful, but burgers are the real way to someone's heart. And be careful who you borrow money from. Ah, but that is a lesson for another day. Hey! Hey, Stephanie! What? Did you just play Gift of the Magi without me? No. How? Yes. What? What? I'm sorry. How fucking dare you? You were going to be gone for a long time. How dare you? Jesse had a whole box of nerds. How right. dare you? I'm sorry. All also, right. I liked it. It was good. Oh, thank you. But why didn't you do Edrith instead of Maya so he could chop off his bangs <laughs> and sell them to Old Bag? Oh, God. He would have gotten way more than $20. <laughs> Um, because then I would have had to deal with the whole kidnapping scenario where she cuts his bangs off and then, like, makes voodoo all out of it, and then, like, it just got really complicated. It get, yeah, okay. It worked. Burgers, man. Burgers. Burgers, man. I got a song for you. Oh, you got a song for me now? I got a song for you. Good one. What is it? Well, we haven't talked about, like, half the series until <laughs> this point, so. You mean, I, what we always talk about? Yeah. We've been very good about not talking about that person we always talk about, so. This is a song for Apollo. Awesome, let's go. You know Gregory and Miles and Diego and Gavin And Gavin and Frenzy and Mia and Phoenix But do you recall The second most famous lawyer of all Apollo, the red attorney, attorney, had some pretty stupid hair. So anime. And if you ever saw it, saw it, you'd say it's beyond compare. Like everybody else. All of the other lawyers, lawyers, used to laugh and call him names. Like your forehead. They never let poor Apollo, Apollo, know what the hell was going on. Like you, Nick. Then one crazy Christmas Eve, Phoenix came to say, Objection! Apollo, with your hair so dumb, help me reinstate the jury's system. Then how Kristoff really hates him, hates him, as he shouted out with rage, Right! Apollo, the red attorney, you've changed your pantafora history. Like the black cycle I will never find out about. Okay, that one was too long. I couldn't figure out a better one. Well, that was cute. Thanks, Lauren. Yeah, and Ashley. And Ashley. Oh, I guess, hey, everybody, all those guests you thought were dead, they're not dead. Yeah, we didn't kill them. Yeah. We just kept them in tiny little boxes until they recorded their shit for the Christmas podcast. <laughs> I meant to say this at the way beginning. <laughs> it took forever. Oh, my God, it took forever. Oh, yeah, we didn't talk about MapOps, the uh, beautiful fan art thing oh, for us. Yeah, that was wonderful. Oh, so MapOp gave us a puzzle. I mean, made us a puzzle about how we murdered all of our guests and imprisoned them in a trunk so that we could dispose of the bodies. And it was the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. Because there was clearly re-listening going on, because those were direct quotes from us. Yeah. So thank you, MapUp, for struggling through every other episode we've ever had. (laughs) And all you others who re-listen. But, uh, what are we? Christmas, right. Christmas. Um, so you wrote another story. I did write another story. You're all, I can't have Edgeworth wherever I want him because that would make sense. Yeah, fuck that. I'm going to do whatever I want with Edgeworth. If I want to make him Sherlock Holmes, I'm going to make him Sherlock Holmes. Well, that's, that's not even a stretch. That's legit. 
sort of. <laughs> if I want to make Kay Watson, I'm going to make Kay Watson. Ooh. Nobody cares. <laughs> and I do what I want. You always do what you want, Michelle. I do what I want. So here's, here's, my, here's my Sherlock story. I went to visit my friend Miles Edwards a few days after Christmas. I intended to at least wish him a happy holidays, hoping to pull him out of whatever brooding funk he had descended into, that humbug. I found him on the couch in his office, tea set close by, a pile of papers neatly strewn every which way. What caught my eye immediately was a rather horrid-looking stained orange hat placed with all the care Edgeworth extended to evidence in the center of his desk. Besides the hat was a various magnifying devices, tweezers, and a camera, which explained why Edgeworth hadn't simply burned the wretched thing on sight. You look busy, can I help? Would you listen if I said no, Miss Faraday? He was clearly asking out of principle since he already knew the answer. Of course not, I said, plopping down into his desk chair and spinning around a few times. I knew he found this annoying, but really, when you have the comfiest chair in the whole building, you're just asking for it. Well then, have a look. I could use an opinion besides Detective Gumshoes on this one. It should prove interesting. He said all this without even looking up from his papers, but his apathy didn't damper my excitement. Ooh, was there a murder? Did someone kill someone with this horrible beret? Were they French? Or have you finally found your calling with the fashion police? You have quite a talent for melodrama, but this isn't a case. More like an interesting detour. Actually, I'm doubtful that any crime occurred at all. It is probably just the result of three million people all living on top of each other all at once. Every one of them jostling and fighting for the top, metaphorically and literally. Occasionally, evil doesn't have to strike for bizarre circumstances to befall some fraction of the population. As he spoke, he set his papers aside and stood, stretching slightly. He delicately picked up his teacup and walked to the window where he gave me a city skyline. I rolled my eyes, waiting for him to continue. And I'm the melodramatic one. Are you going to tell me the story or what, I prompted. Detective Gumshoe found it. Now listen carefully. Don't look at this as a truthfully ugly hat and a story about the detective. Look at it as an intellectual problem. If you really are to be the next Yadagarasu, not that I'm condoning that, you're going to have to think not like a petty thief, but as a detective, a prosecutor, and a defense attorney, all in one. He had a valid point, so I nodded and studied the hat carefully as he spoke. These are the facts. The hat was found at 4 a.m., along with a rather high-end prepackaged box lunch by the detective on his way home from a midnight shift on Christmas morning. Though it was dark, by the street lamps he saw a tallish, broad man wearing that hat, carrying the box lunch, and staggering slightly. The man wasted no time getting into a fight with some probably drunk delinquents. Gumshoe ran over to help, shouting, Police, and his shouting broke up the fight and all the parties scattered, including the owner of the hat and lunchbox. He didn't chase them? I asked, flipping the hat over with the tweezers and examining the inside. He claims he didn't know which person to chase, so he didn't chase any of them. Nevertheless, he retrieved the lunchbox and the hat and brought them to me, knowing better than most that this time of year, more than any other, I craved distraction. We kept both for a few days, but the detective seemed so enthusiastic about the boxed lunch, I let him have it this morning rather than waste it. I imagine he is enjoying it now. But who is the man? We can't know, beyond what we can infer from the evidence. Oh, I get it, I said, looking at the hat once more. This was not going to be easy. So, what have you learned? Hmm. The hat, a bright orange wool beret, or at least it had been at one time. Now it seemed much more lumpy and round than the orange had been dulled by dirt and formerly colorful stains. There was no tag, but someone carefully written the initials LD on the inside where it would have been hidden. I'm stumped, I said, leaning back in the chair. I can't see anything but an ugly orange hat. Edgeworth moved to the front of the desk to examine the hat as well. I'm sure you see much more than that. You just don't take the logical leap to put together what it all means. All right, then. What do you see? He picked up the hat and gazed at it for a moment. It is certainly clear that the man was a mixed-media artist. I say, was, because it is equally clear that he has not touched this hat for some time. I am fairly sure he has recently broken up with his significant other, or, if not, that that person no longer loves him. Nor does he have any friends who care about him, in any substantial sense. Mr. Edgeworth, how can you say such a thing? He continued ignoring my question. However, he seems to care somewhat about appearance, and he uses about twice as much hair gel as he needs to. Those are the obvious things we can learn from this. You have got to be kidding me. Not at all. You still don't see after all that? All right. I bow before your intellectual prowess, Mr. Edgeworth. Now, how could you possibly know he hasn't worn that hat in months? Berets are round by nature. 
There is an obvious indent here by where the initials have been drawn on, indicating that it was hung on a hook for a long time. If it were used daily and hung up, there would not be a single indent, but many less pronounced ones. In addition, all of these stains have been dulled by time, and there are noticeable patches of dust on the outside which were not brushed off properly. Okay, I buy that. I'll also give you that he's an artist, but mixed media? This thing is littered with everything from oil and acrylic paint to clay, charcoal, and wax. He most likely never figured out what medium he was good at. However, many of the stains have been scrubbed or covered to some great extent, which indicates that he at least tried to appear put together. Furthermore, the hair gel. The inside of this hat is caked with layers of solidified hair product. I am willing to bet if he spent half as much time on his art as he did on his hair, his materials would not be all over his hat for us to see. And the significant other and the friends who don't love him. If anyone loved this man, they would have stolen and burned this hat years ago. Any housemate certainly would not have let him leave the house with it on. Amazing! You have an answer for everything! But beyond the potential mugging, there wasn't really a crime here. Isn't putting all the effort into the mysterious L.D. lost hat a bit of a waste? Just as he begins to play, Gumshoe bursts through the office door like a freight train, flushing out of breath. I jumped from the chair with surprise, but smiled and waved when I realized it was just Gummy. Edgeworth, calm as ever, just swiveled on his heel and faced the detective. The lunch, Mr. Edgeworth. It, uh, I... Edgeworth crossed his arms and tapped his finger impatiently against his forearm. What, detective? I certainly hope it didn't grow legs and run away. Look, sir, look what I found in the box! He dug into his coat pocket and held out a radiant blue gem. My goodness, detective, do you have any idea what this is? A sapphire? Some kind of gem? I rushed around to get a closer look. It was a gemstone, all right. It was bright blue, kind of an odd shape for a gem, polished and smooth. It was round on the bottom and had three distinct points. Now we're talking, I said happily. Precious stones are right up my alley. What is it, Mr. Edgeworth? And why does it look like the Blue Badger? Honestly, that stone has been plastered all over the news for days. It's a relatively rare blue garnet, which is part of a large jewelry and gem collection being auctioned on New Year's Eve. The news media has fairly tastelessly nicknamed this piece the Blue Badgem, and they're saying the bid on this piece will start at $250,000. Gumshoe's eyes got so wide, I swear they were about to pop out of his head. He managed to slump onto a nearby couch, but I couldn't stop gaping at Mr. Edgeworth and the gem in turn. I remember now, I said. It was stolen from the Grand Hotel the other day. Both Edgeworth and Gumshoe stared at me. Don't look at me like that! If it had been me, do you think Gumshoe would have found it in a lunchbox? I'm a professional, I said, fixing my gloves for emphasis. You are precisely correct. It went missing on the 24th from the Grand Hotel. The police arrested a suspect that day, closed the investigation, and Prosecutor Payne was assigned to her case. So much for the police force, hmm... Hey, pal, I wasn't working that case. If I had been there, we wouldn't have arrested the wrong person. I didn't mean to imply that you would have, Detective. In fact, the hat you unknowingly brought us has just become extremely important. We must find the owner and see what he knows about the gem. How are we going to find him? If he did lose the gem, he'll be looking frantically for the lost hat and lunchbox. If we advertise, he will come for them. Detective Gumshoe, go post flyers around the streets where you saw the scuffle take place. Say that an orange hat belonging to L.D. was recovered, along with a lunchbox, and put my office information down as the contact. We don't want him being frightened away by police involvement. And a prosecutor isn't going to frighten him? <sighs> I see your point, but I certainly don't want this individual knowing where any of us lives, so we'll have to do. All right, Mr. Edgeworth, what about the gem? Uh, yes, I'm afraid I'll have to keep that here. I'll contact Prosecutor Payne, the police chief, and the appropriate detectives on the case to see that the innocent woman is freed. Gumshoe reluctantly handed the glittering gem over to Edgeworth, who thanked him before Gumshoe rushed off to fulfill his task. Isn't it lovely? Edgeworth said as much to himself as to me, holding the stone up in the light. The color is impeccable, and the attention to detail is flawless. Of course, it is evidence and the nucleus of a crime. It seems every precious gem is. They are irresistible to the ambitiously greedy ne'er-do-wells of this world. Even a stone as young as this one has a bloody past. Who would think something so beautiful would be responsible for destroying so many lives? Geez, why don't you two get a room? Do you think L.D. is innocent? <sighs> I cannot say, although I think it's more likely than not that he is completely innocent and had no idea of what he was carrying. However, we can't know until we talk to him face to face. There's nothing we can do until then? Nothing but stop the trial of that innocent woman. I believe today is the last day of her trial, and it will be going on right now. Oh no, we have to stop that trial! My thoughts exactly.
He carefully placed the gem in the hat into the inner pocket of his suit jacket and threw on his overcoat. Let's go. We got to the courthouse in what had to be record time, and it was amazing to see how much authority Edgeworth held. He paused only to ask which courtroom the case in question was taking place in, then simply strode past everyone who could have stopped him. The only person who attempted to stop him was the guard outside the courtroom who held up a solemn hand and attempted to look threatening. Edgeworth said angrily that he had decisive evidence that needed to be submitted before the verdict, and the guy just stepped aside. Edgeworth burst through both of those heavy-looking doors like they were nothing and instantly commanded the entirety of the courtroom. The entire court could see the glimmering blue gem as he held it aloft and calmly stated that the woman on the trial was innocent. The judge, Prosecutor Payne, the defendant, and the audience all lost their minds. The only person who seemed to keep calm was the defense attorney. I didn't recognize him at all, but he used Edward's appearance to reinforce his argument as though they had planned it from the start. As soon as the judge was presented with the real gem, he couldn't help but find the defendant not guilty. Confetti rained down from somewhere unseen in the crowd, amplifying the air of triumphant justice rightly served. Despite Edward's attempt to leave the scene right after the trial ended, we were quickly stopped and wholeheartedly thanked by the defense attorney. Well, you need to try going into court with your decisive evidence for a change, right? One of these days, your wits might fail you. <laughs> we'll deal with that day when it comes. Now, who is this? This is my occasional assistant. Kay Faraday, the second great thief, Yagaterasu. Hello, Kay. I'm Phoenix Wright. Um, ace attorney. He said, puffing out his chest in order to make sure the shiny gold badge on his lapel was clearly present. Edrith rolled his eyes. Phoenix elbowed him in response. I see you're taking the page out of my book with the assistants, but great thief? So unlike you, Edgeworth. Ha <laughs> ha, right. I'll have you know that I don't condone the self-professed thievery. And she's only my occasional assistant. Oh, so then she's occasionally free. I've been looking for a new assistant, and anyone who can put up with you has got some nerve. Have you ever thought of moving to my side of the courtroom, Kay? I could use a thief to give me some of that decisive evidence fresh from crime scenes, and unlike Edgeworth here, I always win. Edgeworth looked aghast at the thought, which pleased Phoenix to no end. Well, do you pay well on your side? Because I'm getting nothing over here. I pay my last assistant in burgers and steal samurai marathons. Switch that to jamming ninja marathons and we've got a deal. One last thing. How do you feel about ladders? Traditional step or rope. You've got the job. Enough, right? You won't be stealing my assistant today while we're working this gem case. Oh, I'm kidding, Edgeworth. I have to be sure anyone working closely with my best friend fulfills the proper criteria is all. I like this guy, Mr. Edgeworth. He's all right. And this girl is okay in my book. Before Edgeworth could say his no-doubt scathing comeback, we were swept away from Phoenix to answer quite a lot of questions from the police and Prosecutor Payne as to why Edgeworth had the gem to begin with. Edgeworth turned the gem over, answered all of their questions calmly, and even called Gumshoe a number of times to cooperate. It was late in the afternoon when they finally let us go back to Edgeworth's office. There was a man there waiting for us before I knew what was happening. He exclaimed, Edgy, I'm so glad it's you. Uh, Larry, what are you doing in my office? Wait, wasn't he the steel samurai from the embassy case, I asked? The glare Edgeworth shot me was cold enough to freeze the bitter heat of hell itself. He is not the steel samurai. Yup, I sure was. And I'm here because I saw the flyers. You found my hat. Your hat? Yeah, I was sure that it had been stolen by that gang of punks that attacked me. I'm so glad it was you who found it, Edgy. Your LD? Luris Donim, the one and only. Returning to the artistic world after my short leave of absence. Weren't you going to Paris or something to sell blue hot dogs? Don't talk about me, Haru. <laughs> she was the best thing that ever happened to me, and now she's gone. <sighs> I have your hat right here, Larry. Edgeworth pulled the hat out of his jacket pocket and handed it to Larry in an attempt to distract him. <laughs> Good. I, I can't be an artist without my artist's hat. Larry plopped it gracefully on his head. Paired with his paint-smeared sweater, it really did complete the look. We found your lunchbox, too, but we let Detective Gumshoe have it so that it wouldn't go bad. Well, I hope he enjoyed it. It was one of those fancy holiday ones from the new lunchbox place by the police station. It would have been awful if someone hadn't eaten it. Isn't that place really expensive? Yeah, one of the cashiers gave one to me special that morning before anyone was supposed to get one. But you guys can't tell anyone. I don't want her to get in any trouble for giving me one. Uh, we promise. I lied. In fact, Kay and I are on an investigation, and your next torrid romance is of no concern to us. We must be off, Larry, but I hope your re-entry into the artistic world is a lot more successful than your debut. Right. Thanks again for taking good care of my hat. Just as he was leaving, he added, Can you give me your sister's number, Edgy? I still need to talk to her about Franzi's whiplash splash. It's gonna be big. Out! Edward bellowed with such an unquestionable finality that door clicked closed immediately. So logically, it wasn't him because he would have been a lot more interested in the lunchbox, right? Correct. 
you're getting better. Additionally, Larry is much too much of a buffoon to pull off anything even this close to successful. Which reminds me, there are a number of security guards in this building whose pay will be cut for letting him into my office. Oh, come on, it's Christmas, and you specifically advertise for him to come here. It's not their fault. I see your point, and it is the holidays. We arrived shortly before close at the store. Star's Bento's was fairly empty. It was small, but sparkling clean, decorated in whites, blacks, and pinks, and frankly adorable. The cashier on staff was also excessively adorable, with her pink hair and her almost unprofessionally low-cut top. I wonder if this was the same one Larry was interested in. Prosecutor, it's like a pleasure seeing you again. I looked at Edgeworth, but he didn't seem to recognize her. Forgive me, we've met. Oh, you don't remember me, big boy? I would have thought one of your, like, loveliest witnesses would have made a bigger impression on you. But then again, it's not your memory the girls go crazy for, is it? Hmm. Yes, Miss April May, was it? It seems my memory of you is rather inexpungible, after all. I always did say I liked a man with a big vocabulary. Do you talk to your parole officer that way? Only when he begs me. Miss May, if you could please give us some information, that would be wonderful. As long as it's not too intrusive, fine. She said, looking at the clock. We're, like, closing out for the night soon, and we'll have a lot of, like, cleaning up to do. When did the store start selling its specialty holiday lunchboxes? We didn't debut those until Christmas morning. And you worked that morning? No, I didn't, but I did come in to, like, meet an acquaintance of mine. And, though I may regret asking, the night before? I was here, like, getting ready for the morning. And you were alone? Am I under investigation, Mr. Prosecutor? Because I don't, like, like all these questions. Well, I think you'd be answering if you didn't have something to hide, I said before I could stop myself. Edgeworth didn't seem upset with me, though. He looked expectantly at Miss May, who turned towards me with a horrifying look in her eyes. Listen, you little wretch, I know your type. Just because you're his little girlfriend doesn't mean that you can go around accusing honest people of absolutely nothing. If you two aren't going to buy something, you had better leave before I get the owner and get you thrown out. The owner is Miss Angel Star, correct? Yes. Then maybe you had better get her. As a former detective, I am sure she would love to hear all about how you have been trying to use her business to get away with theft. To her credit, April managed to remain calm. You have no idea what you're talking about. Just then, a very elegant woman emerged from the back room and stood behind the counter, her arms crossed menacingly. I don't know, April. I think you might have a few very good ideas. Like, maybe you can tell me why so many of our holiday boxes have been contaminated overnight, since you have continually failed to give me a straight answer. Hello, Ms. Starr. I think we have half of your problem right here, and the other half should be arriving, oh, any moment now. April was terrified now. The shop door jangled, and a man walked in dressed impeccably in a uniform from the Grand Hotel, still carrying a serving tray, no doubt straight from his work. Ah, yes, the bellboy. Just in time for closing. A few steps into the shop, and the bellboy could clearly see that something was wrong. He tried to turn around and run, but faster than I could blink, Angel had run over, grabbed him by his impeccably pressed collar, and dragged him over to the counter. Have you figured it out yet, Kay? Would you care to explain it to Ms. Starr? I've already contacted the authorities, and they should be here any moment now. I think so. This guy, the bellboy, works at the Grand Hotel, and somehow had access to the extensive jewel collection being held there. He and Miss May worked out a plan to steal the infamous blue badge for themselves. Very good. Go on. He stole the gem on Christmas Eve when no one would suspect and brought it here, where Miss May hid it inside one of the lunchboxes, intending to come back the next day and retrieve it. And? Unfortunately, another cashier gave the box in question to Mr. Larry Butts, who lost it later that day. Keep going. You're almost there. Thinking they just misplaced the box, Miss May and her associate have been rooting through every lunchbox after the shop closes, looking for the gem before the boxes are sold the next day, right? Wonderful, Kay. You've got it. But you can't arrest us. The gem is back to its owner's safe, right? We didn't even get away with it. Please, I'm sorry. You have no idea. I did it for the Grand Hotel. I wanted to give the hotel publicity with a bit of mystery. I'll never do anything illegal again. Please, think of the season. Show us some mercy. Oh, shut up. You think they're going to see some kind of light and let you go just because it's Christmas? Spare me. The police arrived shortly after that, led by Detective Gumshoe, and took the bellboy in April away. Merry Christmas! 
And okay, if you finish that line, you are walking back. So, so, Stephanie? Yeah? What is your hair up like that for? I had to get ready for K. Why Why are you in the scarf? Because I had to, I had to channel K. Why'd you just make me sit my, sit here in silence for 20 minutes while you danced the chicken dance theme song and didn't even let me listen I, to it? I had to get ready for K. I had to channel my theme song, dance a chicken dance, so I could be K. And if that involved putting my hair up in a stupid scrunchie... Get that fucking scrunchie out of your hair. It's really uncomfortable. I'm going to take it off, just actually. get it out. It's, it's gone. It's gone. We're out of things. That's it. We're done. We're right? d- I'm out of Christmas story. Right? Well, you know what? Christmas is over. It's not over yet. Okay. All right. Cream Pepsi wished us a very special Christmas, and I really want to read it because it's it's very special and touching to me. Okay. All right. Christmas is a very special time of year. It's the time for caroling to your badge and playing invisible guitar. It's about wearing an apron over your suit. A time for burgers and grape juice. It's time for hobo hats, mugs, badger plushies, and other swag Capcom won't give us. It's a time for steely silence between brothers. It's a time for covering your cactus and Charlie and Twinkly lights. It's a time for half a Stouffer's and ramen. It's a time for giving half your turkey to your dog while you cravatedly listen to Kelly Clarkson. It's a time for bitter coffee, maybe with a dash of poison. It's a time for looking for Gordy and getting arrested for murder. It's a time for pool parties and tasers. It's a time for Tofurky and finding your long-lost sister and third mom. It's a time to spend alone, dressed as Santa, selling samurai dogs while your girlfriend is in Paris. It's a time for heelys and cravats. It's a time for eating cold borscht and watching steel samurai. It's a time for giving finger statues to random strangers. But mostly, it's time for running cross-country to be with a special lawyer you love. Have a Japanifornia Christmas. And please don't get murdered. Yay! Thank you, Green Pepsi. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And thank you, everybody who always listens. Thank you to all of our fans. It means a lot to us. Just thanks, guys. Thank Yay. you, Michelle. Thank you, Stephanie. I love you. I love you, too. Thank you, Mad Pop, for that fan art still, because I love it. It's, it's my favorite. Everyone go to our Tumblr and look at that fan art. It was good. It was real good. It's real good. It's real good. What's our Tumblr, Michelle? <laughs> our Tumblr is objectivist.tumblr.com. But our email is objectivistpodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. We host our show on Podomatic. Objectivist.podomatic.com. And you can subscribe to us on iTunes. And the best Christmas gift would be to rate and review us. Yeah, and you should do it. The second best Christmas gift which would be to make us Capcom swag. <laughs> or get Capcom to release swag. But it's not like you can send it to us because we're not giving you our address. You forgot. You forgot. Uh, Did I not say thank Shadow you? There's Shadow Rage. There's Shadow Rage 2. Oh, for the use of our theme song? For the use of our theme song. And not 8BitBoy because we're not using his this week. Well, you just said it. So to you, to you and to yours, Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Because that was object to this, so why don't you object to that? Santa baby, a 54 convertible to light blue. I'll wait up for you, dear Santa baby, so hurry down the chimney tonight. Think of all the fun I've missed. Think of all the fellows that I haven't kissed. Next year I could be just as good if you check off my Christmas list. Oh, hey, you're still here. What are you doing? What are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> this is like re-listening. You listen to the end of the. You listen to the end of Von Karma song. Well, I'm proud of you because I love Von Karma song. I do too. But we made it. It's a new one. It's even Christmas. and it's yeah. just... Jenny made it. Thanks, Jenny. Thanks, Jenny. Okay. So, now that you're still here, we're going to play something for you. We had everyone, everyone who is in the podcast, except everyone, because <laughs> you will find out at the end, most of everyone, we had them, we had them audition for the bellboy. Yeah, we need to know where they were, what their range was, what kind of accents they could employ and stuff. So, I mean, everyone had to audition for the bellboy, first and foremost. 
So we're going to play you all of those bellboy auditions for your personal enjoyment and also because we're too lazy to list off all of our friends' names. So we made more work by editing So this. we made more work by, by editing, but it's okay. <clears throat> okay, so let's start. Let's start. Okay. My name is Dan, and I'm reading for the bellboy. But you can't arrest us. The gem is back in its owner's safe, right? We didn't even get away with it. Please, I'm so sorry. You've got no idea. I did it for the Grand Hotel. I wanted to give the hotel publicity with a bit of mystery. I'll never do anything illegal again, please. Think of the season. Social mercy. This is Keith. I mean, this is a bellboy. But you can't arrest us. The gem is back to us. On the safe right? We won't even get away with it. I'm sorry. You have no idea. I did it for the Grand Hotel. I want to give the hotel publicity for a bit of mystery. I never do anything illegal again. Please! They got the season! Some of us are mercy! Uh, this is Stephanie recording as the bellboy. But you can't arrest us, motherfucker! That gem is back in the ball and safe, right, bitch? Our thugged asses didn't even get away with that shit. Please, I am so sorry. Your ass has no idea. I did it for the hotel. The Grand Hotel. I just want to give the hotel some publicity. Is though with that funky ass bit of mystery, y'all? I never do anything illegal again. I ain't talking about chicken and gravy, bitch. Please, motherfucker, think of the season, motherfucker. Show our asses some mercy. Uh, this, this is Ashley. Put him <clears throat> for the the bellboy. <clears throat> oh right, it's gotta be out loud. Okay, sorry. But. You can't a- arrest us. The gem is back to its owner, safe. Right? We didn't even get away with it. Please, I'm so sorry. You have no idea. I did it for the for the for the Grand Grandy Hotel. I wanted to give the hotel publicity with a bit of mystery. Hey, that rhymed. I'll never do anything illegal, Ill- illegal again. Please think of the season. Show us some mercy, Mer- mercy, mercy. The acting classes are paying off. Ashley, don't make fun of me recording this. Kate, do it again. This, this is Ashley again, recording for the bail boy. Jamie's back to its owner's safe, right? We didn't even get away with it. Please, I'm so sorry. You have no idea. I'll never do anything illegal again. Please, think of the season. Show us some mercy. This is Lauren, reading for the bellboy. But you can't arrest us. The gem is back to its owner's safe, right? I say. We didn't even get away with it. Please, I'm so sorry. You have no idea. I did it for the Grand Hotel, I say. I wanted to give the hotel some publicity with a bit of mystery. Remember mystery, I say. I'll never do anything illegal again. Please, think of the season. Show us some mercy. Yeah. Jesse? Yeah. Say it. <sighs> this is Jesse reading for the bellboy. But you can't arrest us. The gem is back to its owner safe, right? We didn't even get away with it. Please, I'm like so sorry. You have no idea. I didn't get for the Grand Hotel. Like, like I wanted to give the hotel some publicity and you know a little bit of that mystery. I'll never do anything illegal again. Please <laughs> think of the season. Show us some mercy. Jesse, your reading is the bellboy, not April May. This is Como reading for the bellboy. But you can't arrest us. The cat is back to its owner's safe, 
right? Right? Damn. We didn't even get away with it. Please, I'm so sorry. You have no idea. I did it for the criminal game. Hey, I wanted to give that one to publicity. With a bit of mystery. I'll never do anything illegal again. Please, think of the season. Show us some mercy. This is Michelle reading for the bellboy. But you can't arrest us. <laughs> the joke is back to it's out of safe, right? We don't even have to get away with it. Please, I'm so sorry. You have no idea. I did it for the Grand Hotel. I wanted to give the hotel publicity with a bit of mystery. I'll never do anything illegal again. It's up take over Gotham, please. <laughs> Think of the season. Show us some mercy. <laughs> or it will be very painful for you. <laughs> This is Anthony reading the bellboy lines. But you can't arrest us! The gem is back to its only safe, right? We didn't even get away with it. Please. I'm so sorry. You have no idea. I did it for the Grand Hotel. I wanted to give the hotel publicity. What a bit of mystery. I'll never do anything illegal again. Please! Think of the season. Chosen Mercy! We lost Jenny's audition for the bellboy. Then we by found that it. I mean we found it. <laughs> it was in my folder the whole time. Turns out. Uh, but while while it was lost, I compiled a bunch of bloopers from her recording as Emma, uh, and I'm we like, are going to play those for you. I like you to keep in mind that Jenny had one line. Yeah, Emma had one line. Should we say what the line was? I could probably do it from memory at this fucking yeah, point. Yeah, go ahead. The line was, for I science. buy all sorts of stuff, for science, of course. Hmm, let me see. Wow, this is a good head of hair. How about $20? That was Emma's entire line. And here's Jenny. <laughs> hey, girl. Hey. What up, homie? I'm a glob. Punch me. Punch me. Punch me. Fun. Fun. Punch me. Okay. Do some Emma line. Everyone. About really, all sorts of stuff. Really still. For science, of course. Wow! 20! Okay, sorry. Let me see. Wow! This. Can I, like, improv it? Yes. <laughs> I just keep thinking, Raccoon City! Stop saying oh! that! <laughs> Let me see. Wow! Wow! Damn, girl! Damn, girl! By Jove, I don't know. <laughs> She's not an 80-year-old man. Great Scott. Uh, can I say Great Scott? Excelsior. <laughs> this is a good head of hair. See, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. I think it's really... Damn! <laughs> Brilliant! Gotcha! Oh, gotcha! <laughs> Hold it! Hold it! This is a good thing. record the yeah. podcast. Yeah, if anyone was unclear, everyone, uh, not everyone, 90% of our guests gave us this much trouble. <laughs> so this is why it's 2013 and we're releasing the Christmas episode. Because <laughs> right um, mist comes when I say it comes. Um, so how about Aaron? Aaron gave us so much trouble. Aaron also gave us so much trouble. I'm sorry again for my boyfriend. Aaron was Gregory Edgeworth in the uh, Christmas Carol story. Yeah, so here you go. This is Stephanie recording as Aaron, recording as the bellboy. Woo, I'm the bellboy! I'm gonna speak monotonely now. Woo! I love you. That was fun. And then the only other person we don't have... Well, we don't have Chris. Thank you, Chris, for actually doing the bellboy. Yeah, Chris was the genuine bellboy. <laughs> and we didn't have him audition because his was perfect it was perfect it's so perfect and um 
we don't have my friend Stacy, who is Maya and April okay. May. So this is me recording as Stacy, who I have mentioned previously on this podcast many times, recording as the bellboy. But you can't arrest us. Have you heard of my friend Michelle? She's really cool. She has a podcast. You can find it. Hey, Michelle, what's your podcast? Hey, Michelle, <laughs> I'm going to post your podcast on Facebook like five times this week. You can email them. What's their email? Michelle, what's your email? <laughs> Have you heard my friend Michelle? She's really cool. I love her. She's my heterosexual life partner. <laughs> I mean, show us some mercy. <laughs> Thanks, Michelle and Stacy. I love you, Stacy. <laughs> no, really. I love you. <laughs> Oh, she's never going to listen this far. No, she's not. <laughs> Stacey, if you listen this far, tell me about it, because I don't believe you. <laughs> oh, Michelle, we need to stop this. This podcast is like five hours long. <laughs> it's Christmas. It's special. Oh, okay. Well, I, uh, should I just say, should we just say bye? This was Objective Bloopers, so, okay. <laughs> so why don't you...